This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, once more with feeling, the successes and failures of musical episodes in genre TV shows. And once more with feeling, we are very happy to welcome... (laughs) Hamish Steele back to the show. Hello, Hamish. I'm like a bad penny. I, um, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I, I think I said this last time, but I'm a big fan of not only you guys as people, but as of the show. And I'm always happy to come back. And I'm very happy that you want to have me back. <laughs> well, I mean, it, we had to have you back. I mean, I always knew that I was going to have to sort of. <laughs> ambush you yeah. at some point and be like hey Mitch come back onto the show <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm always very happy that you, you seem to be um, amenable to that but of course there's been some fantastic news recently which is that uh, Dead End Paranormal Park is getting a season 2 yes and wow we made it so quickly <laughs> I know I, I'm actually I'm not complaining at all but it came up as season 2 and I'm like oh that's fantastic and then you said it's being released on this date. And I'm like, this year? It can't possibly be this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Yeah, so it was already in production. Um, but it's still a big deal and a big success. And it's definitely a season two. It's not um, just the second half of mm, yeah. a bunch of episodes because something I'm really proud about with both seasons, it is a full beginning, middle and end story. Um so our characters will be a little older, a little wiser, mm-hmm. um, new threats, those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, October 13th. I don't know if this is the plugging section, but <laughs> you, you brought it up. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's just so exciting. Yeah. So um, from this episode, you know, people have only got a couple of weeks to wait. Mm. Um, I'm really, really excited for it. Um, and I understand that uh, fans of the original webcomic and the comic book um, are w- would do do you would do I call it a comic book or do I call it a graphic novel? I mean, that's a debate that's been going on for <laughs> decades. Um, typically, what would you prefer? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my I guess generation uh, graphic novel doesn't. I guess have any negative connotations as a word, but I know some yeah. older comics people don't like it as it um, I think was used to sort of differentiate legitimate comics from uh, yeah. maybe other stuff, but it's used pretty liberally. Interchangeably. I will say at, at uni, my teachers would always say like, don't call it a comic, don't call it a cartoon, you're making films and graphic novels. And we would pointedly sort of reject that i remember going up for a chris and saying this is my little cartoon and just seeing my teacher kind of wince (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i mean that just that's all part of uh what has been my career because i think at uni as well Mm. i I was very adamant that i wanted to get into making cartoon shows and and kids media and things that you would assume a lot of people that do an animation course want to do but my teachers weren't particularly um i'm not trying to rag on university teachers by the way (laughs) but um i hope not (laughs) no 
there, there was definitely a feeling from some of them that they they wanted more for us and yet i don't know that's that's subjective yeah there's i i know what you mean and there's definitely this kind of sense of oh well if it's for kids you know then it's doesn't have as much value um yeah that you know yeah. you should be aiming for something you know loftier and yeah i don't agree with that it's a, it's a bit like the genre literary type thing like, i'm still in touch with my um english a level lecturer which okay that's probably quite weird but we're still kind of <laughs> not at all we're still kind of friends <laughs> we meet up we have drinks occasionally um and i sort of mentioned to him that obviously I write and you know I'd written a number of books and I had a couple of publishing contracts and he was really really excited and interested and then I said look I want you to calm down a bit because this is not literary stuff at all this is very much genre fiction um, and he's like oh okay well that you know it's still quite Im- impressive but I could just feel this little bit of sort of not quite disappointment but just sort of like oh that's sort of slightly less mm. laudable almost yeah um, and yeah, let's. I, I don't like that. I don't agree with it. Um, <laughs> honestly, um, but yeah. So um, as, as I was saying, I think people uh, who knew, um, uh, who, who read uh, Dead Endia, see, this is how I get around it. Who read Dead Endia um, are going to be quite excited for this new season because I believe, obviously, you wanted to create something which was a little bit different for the series um but there's going to be some kind of familiar strands in season two is that right yeah i think um i don't even know if i've said the name of the show we're talking about but um yeah the books are called dead endia and um people like them but one self-criticism i have is the pace of the first one in particular is so fast Mm. um that you're, it's kind of racing through character arcs at such a huge, um, at such a fast pace that mm. I, in some ways, treated season one like slowing all of that down and right. getting to know the characters from an earlier point in time, in a way. Yeah. Um, and during the writing process of season one, there was a lot of um, world-ending, time-traveling shenanigans stuff that was in the first book that we just yeah. pushed into season two because I wanted, I felt like all of it would be more impactful if we knew the characters better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also I was working with new writers and it was the first time I really collaborated on the story. So I wanted to prioritize their thoughts and their ideas for stories for season one. And then mm. there was a few times writing season two where we found ourselves in kind of dead ends of, no pun intended, but found ourselves in um <laughs> Just like, oh, what do we do for this episode? I haven't got any ideas, like, where do we go? <laughs> and then we would just look at each other and think, we could read the book. And it was like... <laughs> <laughs> we, and it, seriously, our season, uh, our event, our, um, not to, you know, jump too far ahead, but the finale of season two, we struggled with so hard. And it was in so, it became so many different stories. And then eventually we did just read the book and adapt the ending of that book and think, well, yeah, that, that is there. Um, I, I love it because you get so many times when, when there's kind of a film or, or screen adaptation of something, there's this, like, why don't you read the book? And you don't expect the creator of the book to be like, maybe we should read the book. Yeah, I think part of it is, yeah, it, it's the freedom I feel 
I am allowed because I'm the creator. Um, mm. I think some of the writers, especially on season one, would be worried about deviating too much. Um, yeah. Or everyone would secretly be thinking, we really need to cut this character and yeah. be scared to say it. And then I would finally say, we should probably cut this character. And they'd all just like breathe a sigh of relief or <laughs> yeah. um, similar things. I mean, there's a couple of cut characters from the books who are actually in season two. Okay. There's a character called Fingers who um, <laughs> we cut from season one and not a single person has said hey why did you cut fingers so clearly they're a fan favorite <laughs> character <laughs> um and the reason we cut them is kind of funny in that um i don't know if any of you have watched the owl house um no not yet there's a character in that who i believe uh is very 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 similar to the fingers characters in terms of they're this long snake like being that lives inside a house they're called hootie in our house right. and okay. i we were writing that show came out the the like right as we started production i took one look at hootie and went oh, okay we're cutting that character but then you know we got to season two the our house had been on for a while we thought of a new way to do that character and that was really nice so it it the writing process was um definitely informed for season two by mm. just having made a show. I mean, when we made season yeah. one, we hadn't got any episodes to watch of our own show. We didn't know yeah. what the tone yeah. would be. So we went into the season two writing much more confident. We like had the characters' yeah. voices and the tone right. So I hope that shows when watching that it feels more confident and hitting the ground running, but we'll see. Um, yeah. I'm very, I'm very excited for it. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be my <laughs> sort of get to mid-October and <laughs> get to sit down and enjoy it. Um, now, this week um, we are going to be talking about musical episodes um, in genre TV series. Uh, Jules and I have spoken about musicals in the past. It's obviously a very, very big topic, so we're going to be narrowing it down very specifically to looking at um, sort of long-running TV shows or, or TV shows uh, which have included a musical episode. It's quite a popular phenomenon and uh, Hamish obviously um, can discuss this very much from the kind of production and the writing perspective because there was a musical episode in season one of Dead End Paranormal Park. Yes there was. <laughs> Oh my god, though, but like, my Frankenstein, what a banger. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, um, I think, just uh, so people are aware, we might be in slight spoiler territory for season one of Dead End Paranormal Park. Yeah. So that you've got the freedom to discuss it openly, mm -hmm. should you wish to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we've, got a we've got a little bit of um, background on this whole sort of musical episodes and TV shows. So let let's get into the... The lineage if you want to call it that yeah which has come from some pretty weird places um i have to say that some of these things i have not seen for about 20 years so my memory might be a little bit rusty so if anyone knows better please chip in um, yeah <laughs> but anyway we'll get into the why and the whys and wheres on including a musical episode in a minute um but the idea of shaking things up with a musical episode can be traced back 
probably to the film Fame in 1980. Mm. Um, it's probably a bit creaky now <laughs> as a film, but at the time it was kind of groundbreaking. It's a sort of a musical drama um, rather than being a motion picture of a, of basically a filmed version of a stage production of a musical. Mm. So I think you can argue that the sort of the two... I suppose the two schools of, of of how to include music in in film, if you like, came from sort of different areas in that. Um, so yeah, the film is basically about a bunch of teenagers who are trying to make it big in New York, and it's got some some big classic hits and things included in it. As I said, it's probably a bit clunky now. Yeah. <laughs> it did come out in 1980, which is quite some time ago. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I know it seems like I'm splitting hairs when I say there's a difference between sort of music applied to a drama situation rather than a filmed version of a musical. Mm. Um, but, you know, with a musical such as, I suppose, Calamity Jane or The Wizard of Oz or Les Miserables, the point is storytelling via music, first and foremost, and it sort of comes out of the operatic or libretto tradition. Yeah. So the audience goes in expecting this I, th I think everyone who goes to a stage production of Les Miserables goes in knowing that everyone's going to be singing all the time yeah. <laughs> they're not going in thinking well yes this is going to be a really really fraught sort of dark drama with the occasional song yeah um it's, a, it's a fraught dark drama with all songs <laughs> <laughs> with all songs through the medium of song um by contrast a show that applies songs to its dramatic character pivot point moments uh, generally uses song in a different way and there's many different ways it can be used but I think the point is is here is that it's a story through a more usual dialogue and shown film medium with mm. music sort of applied to specific points um, the music itself is not all part of necessarily a larger story the music is telling sort of encapsulated stories within the episode if mm. that makes sense yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and what's quite interesting is specifically um, the use of music often um, to express... Because in a musical, um, you do have songs which are used to kind of express the the character's inner feelings, but the songs are also used to forward the plot and to provide narrative and things along those lines. Um, but when you have kind of music applied to uh, sort of a TV series or something like that, um, you very often the songs, because it's the, it's not a regular thing, the songs are very much used to explore the character's internal sort of monologue, um, which would not be something which would otherwise kind of be open uh, to sort of most um to, to the viewers to the audience otherwise because of the nature of the narrative otherwise yeah um, yeah so yeah it's it's sorry. obviously there's sorry <laughs> there's gonna no, be no, I'm some glad you got what i was saying because yeah, yeah. i thought i've gone i've really gone around the houses here trying to explain what i mean yeah absolutely um, um but yeah so the, obviously there's a lot of crossover um as there always is um but kind of that's the area that we're going to be concentrating on yeah. So, I mean, there's there's various different ways it can be used and we'll go into them in more detail, but it's things like collapsing the time frame or communicating what could be theoretically a long drawn out monologue if you were just doing it in pure dialogue form. Yeah. Mm. 
um, yeah. in a way that makes it a bit more palatable to uh, a watcher, particularly if it's a very emotional piece as well and you don't want to change the overall tone of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously the audience has not necessarily gone into the TV series thinking every episode's going to be musical. Obviously there are exceptions, but again, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, to follow on from fame, there was a truly terrible cop show which I can't remember the exact name of because it was that bad. But again, it was um, it combined the very best of cutting-edge 80s TV <laughs> crime drama with really, really tried terrible songs. And I think the problem was that tonally the two things did not come together well at all. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you had something like Law and Order or uh, CSI, you know, Crime Scene Investigates or whatever. Yeah. And instead of them, like, presenting evidence people just started singing about it in really sort of peppy jolly ways and yet it was still supposed to be hard-hitting crime it's rather like than comedy <laughs> yeah. wow. i'm not saying it can't ever be done it's just i don't think it worked in that instance no. <laughs> that sounds uh, like amazing but not in the amazing sense if that makes sense i'll try and remember the name you can you can pick up bits on youtube and it's just like I, I went back to check it was as bad as I remembered and I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> no wonder I erased it. Um, okay, so the, after that we still hit the 90s and yeah. longer running TV shows that were, you know, something other than crime dramas or soap operas mm. became more of the norm, which allowed the creators more time to experiment, or at least that's my theory. Yeah. Um, this included musical episodes in TV shows, particularly genre TV shows. So first of all, there was a musical episode in Xena Warrior Princess... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever watched any of it, but mm -hmm. you know, I uh, I think again it's a little bit probably creaky. But at the time, it was you know it it had such a huge fan base because it didn't really you didn't have an alternative. Yeah, I mean to be um, honest, I think it's, there's just a lot of impact still from it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, there was the musical episode actually didn't completely suck, as I recall. <laughs> it was a bit out of left field, but it was kind of like, okay, well this is fine. We're saying all the rest of this is possible. Why the hell not? A place where you go to to recuperate from trauma and everybody sings to each other. Fine, <laughs> not a problem. Um, then there was an Ali McBeal episode. Um, Ali McBeal was really weird in terms of being a, a sort of crime comedy TV type show. Mm. Um, Ali McBeal herself was a peculiar character, um, not least her hallucinating this baby ooga-chucking all over the place. Yes. <laughs> you remember the dancing baby? I do not, and... Uh... I might be reaching back to before your time. I know, the <laughs> dancing baby. You know the dancing baby, thank you. I'm starting to feel very, very ancient there for a moment. But... <laughs> um, I think it was okay, as I recall. I don't really remember the episode that well, which suggests that my brain went, yeah, we're not storing that. Um, <laughs> it does this a lot with films. Um, and then apparently there was a truly awful episode of Grey's Anatomy where someone had some sort of um, brain issue which meant that everything they saw was people in terms of delivering through the medium of song, uh, which is already stretching things thin on something that's supposed to be a medical drama anyway. Mm. And apparently it was so bad that even p big fans of Grey's Anatomy are kind of like, no, it didn't happen. We don't talk about it. Yeah. What's weird, because I think they did this a similar thing with Scrubs, but because Scrubs, even though it is a, a medical thing and isn't technically genre fiction in the same way, because it, it has that... Um, 
magic realism element to it because you've got JD imagining things all the time, which are funky. Um, yeah. It tonally it worked a lot better. It was funny, and the cast through them. I mean, we'll get into why it worked in a minute. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, it still has one one of the funniest songs I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> as I recall. <laughs> Um, and then finally, to wrap this up, I'm sure there are other examples, but mm. this is just looking at this sort of rough lineage. Um, we have the episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from season six, which is Once More with Feeling, uh, which most fans of musical episodes and musicals in general uh, think was, you know, a real high point in in both the show and in terms of showing what you can do with a mixed TV and music type medium. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think it really, to be honest, even though there were obviously versions of it that came before, uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer really set a trend in terms of the musical episodes and in terms of actually what you could really do with it um, and how you could really, really make it work, to be honest, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If I can speak about it for a bit, because it was a huge influence um, on our episode. So... When you try and write a musical episode, you go in knowing it's either going to be the best episode of the season or the worst. Um, and <laughs> yeah. in some ways, the most popular or least popular. I mean, lots of people just don't like musicals. Um, I think with any genre, or I guess, you know, it's a subgenre because you can have other, you know, you can have Western musicals and horror musicals and all kinds of things. Um, yeah. Maybe it's like a format. I I feel like you can say that you don't like something, but I feel often it's you've just seen the worst of it, or there's always one example that could be for you in there. Um, yeah. But I knew going in that some people would just hate it. They'd be just like, I don't like it when characters sing. I want to skip this episode. And I think one of the reasons Buffy's musical episode works so well, and it's the thing that we mostly drew from it, is you can't skip it. <laughs> it's yeah. the most important yeah. pivotal episode of that season. So many plot uh, threads come to a head. And I feel like one of the big problems with musical episodes is, unlike our one, they usually happen late in a show's run. They typically i feel are filler and done because the people making the show find the idea of seeing their cast sing funny or they they feel like well we've earned it let's just have some fun but people who really love musicals and and people who want to write them or, or when they write think in those terms it's because they're emotional it's not because they're i mean they can be funny I mean, our musical has comedy songs. The Buffy one had a, com- you know, has comedy songs, but laughing is an emotion. But so is crying, and so is the kind of the thing that the Buffy episode does really well is the concept that when you can no longer speak your feelings, you have to sing them, and when you can't sing them anymore, you have to dance them, and that's kind of the musical rule when writing. Yeah, songs yeah. songs shouldn't, shouldn't just like plop in into your plot for no reason they should come at an emotional peak when a character has to sing their feelings because there's no other way and i feel yeah. in that buffy episode in that season all the characters have been keeping secrets yeah. and they all come out when singing and in our show um 
the first song we wrote for our musical episode was My Frankenstein, mm. which we wrote because the character of Norma um, isn't necessarily the best at vocalizing how she's feeling. And in at that point in the season, it's the second last episode, so all of the plot lines are kind of at their emotional peak. Um, she's just found out that the celebrity that she's kind of based her entire personality and life around is uh, (laughs) problematic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's kind of crushing her whole world. And the only way that she can put everything she's thinking into words, how grateful she is to this person for all of the uh, happiness that she got from her, but also how disappointed she is, all of that stuff, it felt like it had to come out in song, in a way. Um, and through that decision, all the other musical uh, numbers kind of came afterwards, when we realised that if this is going to be the episode where Norma's um, storyline is at its kind of emotional peak, it should be the same for all the other characters. So mm. Barney is at a point where he kind of needs to confess his feelings to his love interest. Um, Courtney is wanting to go home and finally has that chance and is sort of thinking, do I stay with my friends or do I go back where I feel I belong? Um, And Pugsley, who has been fighting the kind of demon inside him, is at a point where he's ready to, like, give over control to the demon side of him. So... Yeah, it was really fun to write, and like I, I, that's me talking about Dead End, but Buffy does the same thing, and I think it's one of the reasons it's so popular and has stood the test of time, because people remember it, not just, it was funny watching the cast sing, but it was also the most important episode of the season. Yeah, it really was a pivot point of the, of the entire season. And I have to say, season six is not my favourite season, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there that I don't particularly like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you can't skip once more with feeling because it is it is obviously amazing. Uh, I love the fact that it sort of it respected the limits of um, both TV shows and the musical genre, and more importantly, it was internally consistent with the world and its ongoing arc. So this whole idea of this demon being summoned up to make people sing the things that they they're keeping bottled up and secret, and the fact that it was Xander who did it in the first <laughs> place. Sort of like, I thought it would be fun, you know, with songs and dancing. And it's like, no, you've basically just traumatised everybody by making them come out with things they didn't really want to talk about yet. Yeah. So So, it's, it's, oh, sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say so much, I'm sure this will be a bigger conversation, but so much of the hurdle you have to overcome with a musical is seeing people burst out into song is funny. And if you have paid to go see a musical in the theatre... Um, even then, as soon as people start singing, there can be a moment of going, oh yeah, musicals, okay, I'm in. And you were mentioning that cop show. I think it's... (laughs) (laughs) It does help that Buffy is a show where a musical episode could totally happen. Like, it's not bending the rules. I think some of the justifications in, like, the soap operas or um, Grey's Anatomy, it can be can feel so contrived because yes we know that you just wanted to watch the cast sing but like to justify it can be so uh, such a stretch 
And um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think with us, it was also beneficiary because it's a musical, as uh, but it's an animated thing, and that's just another lowering of the hurdle, I guess, because you're already suspending so much disbelief. Yeah. One thing I wanted to kind of say with with regards to what is often kind of, for me, makes or breaks any kind of musical episode is people say, oh, you know, it's it's about sort of not taking itself too seriously. Um, and I don't think, I know what people are trying to say when they, when they use that turn of phrase. Um, but for me, actually, it's about acknowledging the fact that yes you can um sometimes it is about sort of okay let's actually break the the tension let's break the seriousness by doing something which is a little bit different um but seriousness um you know there's two levels of seriousness you can be serious as in okay well everything's going to be very straight laced or it can be serious as in we're actually taking this seriously um, we're actually doing this on purpose. We're not just messing around because musicals, dance numbers, singing, all these songs, they're actually very, very difficult. They take a lot of skill. And if anyone kind of goes into that half-heartedly, um, then it really will come across. And if you t- and if the approach to it is half-hearted as well, it will really will come across. I think one example is they did a musical... Um, episode on the series Lucifer and some of the songs they just it they it just really kind of felt very flat um obviously uh, Tom Ellis who plays Lucifer he can sing very well a lot of the cast could sing very well but what was happening was that they just put in a musical number it was kind of meant to be amusing um but it felt really kind of oh well nothing's really been achieved with this and everyone's just kind of doing it because it is meant to be a little bit funny and i I don't know i just felt really really flat to me other ones i think worked sort of of the tv version of elevator music isn't it where (laughs) it's just filling space it's not yeah Yeah. i mean this is a thing like it's okay to not like musicals but i think you can tell when a musical episode comes from a place of someone that does love musicals. And yeah. I, like I said, I knew some people would not want a musical episode or it would be some people's least favorite. So I'm kind of trying to convince them actually musicals rule and like, maybe I don't convince you and maybe you still wish there hadn't been a musical episode, but I don't want to confirm all your biases by doing a crappy musical and like, it's kind of like the embarrassment a lot of theatre kids felt when the Cats movie came out. And everyone, yeah. <laughs> like the Cats movie is what is quote unquote why people who don't like musicals don't like musicals because it's just yeah. musical numbers with barely any plot. And it's like that feeling of like, no, but they can be so good. You just need to like see the right one. And um, yeah. 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 And I, I think one really good example of like from a very personal kind of perspective is um hamish you obviously know uh my brother um, (laughs) quite well Uh, (laughs) um and he's not a big fan of musicals um he never has been uh but you know he will still sit we we sat and we went to go and see les miserables together uh with the family and you know he enjoyed that he liked that because it 
because it's a type, you know, there's lots of different types of musical, but it is a musical which basically is really using the music to effect. It's not just filling the space, if that makes sense. You know, um, yeah. it's it's using it obviously for narrative, but most importantly, it's using it to highlight um, the themes, the feelings, um, and it's very serious. It's taken seriously. It's not kind of just meant to be a lark. And there's nothing wrong also with musicals, which are comedies, and the whole point is that it is meant to be a little bit of a lark. Um, but for me, I think personally, musicals which are able to kind of toe that line between saying we're going to do something which is a bit different we're going to break the mold we're going to lean into that carnival which we talked about previously when hamish came on before mm. um but at the same time within that there is its own logic there is a reason and we are actually using this to express something and i yeah. think that's what they did in the buffy episode in that you know there were these comedic bits like for example the whole spike song in the buffy episode or the they got the mustard out yeah it was it was, it was sung straight up like it was a proper song and dance number but when you actually listen to the words it was like it was just outside this laundromat and like they've managed to dry clean my clothes <laughs> yeah. but like but like the spike song there's this whole thing where you know it's this big number and he's just saying leave me alone you know leave me leave me and then she, and then when buffy actually leaves he just goes oh you're going then <laughs> there is so, there is weirdly a sort of crossover between les miserables and buffy in in another way um and that is that i don't know if either of you've ever read the book of Les Miserables. I have. Um, but yeah, it and it's great. I love it. It's one of my favourite books. But taken just literally as it is in book form, I think a lot of people would find it emotionally quite exhausting. <laughs> Whereas if you look at the musical, the musical, yeah, it does it does give you those feels kind of thing, but it, it also is it provides a catharsis with it as well. Yeah. And I think it's the same with that episode of Buffy because they're delivering some really heavy hitting plot points there mm. and if you had all of those things happening in an episode so for example Buffy admitting she's been ripped out of heaven and Giles thinking he's not really needed anymore and Willow you know guess what uh, she's actually struggling with the beginning of an addiction yeah um and Xander sort of terrified of future responsibility all those things in one episode would be emotionally exhausting for a mm. Uh, your average viewer i think yeah but because they're provided in this sort of song encapsulated song format somehow the you know the pill goes down if that makes sense mm. yeah i completely agree um and also i think in some respects it allows you to really get the impact of those emotional moments in a lot of ways yeah. um yeah I, and I, I, thinking... I also got that with dead end sorry go on Hamish. no it's fine it's fine i i, I was it's all very interesting I was thinking about how um, those kind of heightened emotions, Dead End is obviously a tribute to all musicals, but specifically horror musicals. Mm. And I, I love Little Shop of Horrors, Rocky Horror, Sweeney Todd, um, Phantom of the Opera and Phantom of the Paradise. Um, <laughs> and I think there's a, a lineage of horror musicals because it's two genres that seem so different, but they both, delight in the over the topness sort of a part of the spectrum of storytelling yeah, yeah absolutely um and you know as we talked about before the the whole kind of horror coming sort of being born of the gothic 
Um, it is about those heightened emotions. Um, and there is a reason that horror and comedy also work so well together. So of course it kind of makes sense that horror and sort of musicals and things like that, uh, that complete suspension from reality would make sense and would work so well together. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so reasons why you might want to include a musical episode in your TV series. <laughs> so, assuming you you have a TV series. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All the well, TV series that we run. <laughs> yes. Uh, the most obvious one is obviously it's fun, but that cannot be the only reason. I think if you're being true to your viewers. Yeah. I think it's weirdly enough there's this because it's become such a a trend with long running series I think there's this kind of sense of oh well we've got to do it you know yeah we have to do the inevitable musical we, episode, we have to do which yeah. is the wrong position to come from I think I mean yeah, yeah I know a lot of plays uh, series end up they've got a cast who are great singers and dancers as well as great actors yeah although uh, I've not watched the remake of Dallas because it just wouldn't be my sort of thing generally. <laughs> um, but apparently the musical episode in that was absolutely appalling. Uh, another one of the Grey's Anatomy type ilk. I mean, I've, right. I've watched many seasons of Riverdale and the they do a musical episode every season and each time it yeah. approaches with like a doom bell of like, oh God, here we go again. And they're all so yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i felt that a little bit with the chilling adventures of sabrina which i you know i'll get into a bit later as in they obviously had actors who could sing and they had great sets and stuff and you know that i had a lot of issues with the chilling adventures of sabrina any way because it went in a direction that i found not quite offensive but yeah edging towards offensive yeah me too um but it didn't make sense for them to sort of like, oh, yeah, we'll all just sing in this episode. Well, I think it's also telling that so many of these musical episodes happen really late in a show's run. And yeah. mine's in season one because I knew if I'm ever going to get the chance to make a show, I want to do a musical. And again, something that Buffy did is I, I knew that to write a musical episode and make it how I wanted, we would have to spend the entire production of the show making this musical episode in the same time it would take to make the other nine episodes. I mean, yeah. I know that with Buffy, they started writing the musical episode as the, that season got greenlit and it's later on in that season as well. I think yeah. sometimes they just go, let's do a musical episode. Oh, in the same time frame for every other one. Um, it's why I think some of the songs and dances and those episodes can be very flat. Um, yeah. But yeah, it being fun is a very good reason to do it. And definitely another thing that when we were, because it's in season one, we were casting actors knowing that this musical episode was coming. Yeah. So it yeah. was on our mind when casting. And um, yeah, I think sometimes it is just like, let's get the lead actor to dance. That'll be a fun gif. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can be a way to shake up the storytelling, uh, but again, I don't think that should be the only reason for doing it, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think, again, as Hamish said, a lot of the times the musical episodes do come sort of later on. And there's because of that, also because of kind of the trend with long running series and stuff like that these days, um, what you end up having is you end up having sort of series which just feel really stretched 
um and the story isn't actually that engaging anymore no one's really kind of you're sort of watching it because you like the characters and stuff like that but to be honest the magic has kind of been lost um it's more impressive thinking about what shows haven't done a musical episode like yeah (laughs) i was just trying to think and i don't think doctor who has which is shocking because which is strange they've done every genre (laughs) has star trek done it well, I was just thinking, have Star Trek done it? But No, not really. I mean, they had a lot of episodes in Voyager where you had, say, the Doctor, for example, was singing because he does have a very good voice. Mm. Yeah. But it wasn't a musical, musical episode. It was just an episode that featured him singing. Yeah. And Seven of Nine singing, etc. Yeah. But what I was, what I meant was that what happens is because the musical tends to be sort of later on as well, it also falls flat because the story isn't actually that engaging anymore. Yeah. And it is kind of like we're adding it so that we can shake it up, so that we can kind of bring something a little bit new because otherwise, because everything else is actually yeah. kind of dull at this point. <laughs> uh, and another thing it can do is it's kind of like the montage in a film. So, you know, your, your classic training montage, no matter what it is, or your classic studying montage. Yeah. Um, in the same way, a musical episode can kind of collapse the time frame a little bit and deliver a lot of information in a way that's not overwhelming. Mm. Yeah. And that, uh, and yeah, also like a lot of emotional information, as Jules yeah. kind of touched on before. Um, so <laughs> maybe some of the viewers haven't picked up on any of the themes or the characters' emotions unless they're belting them from a bell tower. Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> or they've legitimately said them out loud, and you know, uh... yeah. Which I guess that's frustrating to a creator, really, isn't it? Because you're you're being all subtle and nuanced, and it's uh, mm-hmm. it's going over someone's head. It can be if you're you're writing something, I think, when you're clearly signalling your characters to go one particular way, and then you have fans discussing it and saying, "Oh, but I think this is going to happen." I'm like, "How? Where are you getting that from?" <laughs> I should, yeah, genuinely don't know where that's come from. Yeah, you're going to be disappointed. It must be said, whenever there's a musical episode, though, where you've had a character who has been kind of bottling things up for a long time, and again, I think this is a reason why the Buffy um, episode really hit hard, is that you've got a character who's kind of been simmering in the background, and then suddenly they have a belting song, Mm. and it all just comes out. That is really satisfying, because you've just seen them simmering away, you know, in the background, just all really kind of struggling with this, and then suddenly there's this release um that can be really really impactful and again i think it was one of the reasons we had such success with the buffy episode uh because there were all these secrets that were simmering there were all these people who were struggling with things and weren't getting it out and then suddenly there it was out in the open kind of almost like screaming if that makes sense um and for me i think it was also one of the reasons that it really the my frankenstein i mean i did love the other songs and i've i've got to say i loved pugsley's song um uh because it, it there was almost a little bit of a my friends on the other side kind of vibe mm. to it which i really i really appreciated i just thought that whole jam was fantastic but my frankenstein i think hit really hard because we do have norma who's been struggling with all of this, you know, and and we had the whole genre switching episode as well. Um, And it's kind of all bubbled to the surface. And I think it impacted really hard because she was suddenly performing this very powerful song, which was literally 
causing the whole theatre to kind of crumble around her. Um, and it was this great sense of kind of released pressure of, of all these emotions kind of coming to the fore. Um, and I think another reason it really impacted was that for a lot of people who were watching it, um, they've been through that as well. So it is incredibly cathartic as well, because I think we've all been in a position where we have idolized someone or someone has had a, you know, a great impact on us. And, and, and suddenly actually we've kind of been forced to confront reality about them. Um, I mean, mm. for example, there's a whole generation of people right now who were raised on Harry Potter, uh, for whom Harry Potter had a massive, massive impact. Um, you know, for, for me personally, Harry Potter is probably a large part of why and how I became a writer as well as Caroline Lawrence. But, you know, I couldn't read. I, I was really struggling with reading. Harry Potter was how I got into the book world. So I owe so much of of who I am today towards that. And then suddenly there's the reality of, of okay, but this is the situation with JK Rowling, you know? And I think everybody has got that to a certain degree. So to have this release of emotion from Norma, um, which is so relatable to everybody else, um, is incredibly cathartic and really hits, I think. And it's part of, for me personally, what I felt made that song and, and that episode um, so successful was that each of their each of the songs, even if we can't relate exactly to the situation, such as fighting with a demon that's literally inside of us and gives us powers, um, we can all relate to the to the concept of fighting with oneself or fighting with you know the the kind of the other part of within oneself or, or sort of etc. Or fighting with uh, you know being in love with someone but not really being sure you can sort of communicate with them. All of these things are relatable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you. Um, <laughs> J.K. Rowling <laughs> was definitely on our mind a little bit with that plot line because I think um, one of the responses I don't enjoy when people turn out to be bad is the, well, I never liked them anyway, or they were always terrible, or, you know, you're such an idiot for liking them. Um, that's kind of mm. the sentiment Courtney says to Norma in the previous episode, but like, you're a fan of someone that's like stupid and I think yeah. that hadn't I think sort of put it back onto the topic of like why would you do a musical episode one of the first things you need to think about when writing a song is it sounds really obvious but what it's about and yeah it's it's easy to say well a love song or an I want song or these kinds of types of songs but trying to find something that hasn't been sung about or a, at least an emotion you don't think um is so well covered like you can write a song about i love someone but yeah. writing a song about how that person just sees me as some regular guy and i'm not that important and he's just some regular guy like it's nothing like trying to find the sort of hook that makes it a little bit different and with mm -hmm. my frankenstein i hadn't really heard many songs from the perspective of there's like being disappointed in a partner there's being disappointed in life or or something or in a relationship but that kind of seeing empathy with a disappointed fan or um you know that that battle between well i was a fool for projecting so much onto this famous person i don't know but also yeah. 
as a famous person, you do have some kind of responsibility to your fans to not become the worst person who ever lived. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's like, that's all part of it. And I think, yeah, some musical episodes don't really know what to sing about, have their characters sing about. Um, yeah, it is just, well, let's just give them a song. And you're like, okay, but why? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so final point on the why would you do a musical episode uh, using music to communicate emotion and theme is a legitimate form of storytelling in its own right, as we've sort of probably demonstrated through this yeah. discussion. Um, and I sort of think that using music and ordinary script together um, is kind of like the TV version of using mixed media in books. So when you have books with like newspaper articles and mm. texts and things. Yeah. And- there's lots of um, shows which haven't done full musical episodes, but have had mm. very impactful mu- um, musical numbers. Um, yeah. I think a lot, it happens a lot in comedy shows, of the ones I'm thinking of, where a, a random one I'm thinking about is um, in the show Shit's Creek, where yeah. there's a few in that, but one I'm thinking of in particular is the character Stevie, um, who's quite quiet and uh, I don't want to say repressed. As, a word similar like that but like um introverted and she kind of she gets cast in um cabaret isn't it (laughs) um in like the the local town putting it on and it's such a weird role for her to take because it's like she's so not a big broadway singer person um and she performs um the number and it's like a real turning point that character that empowerment that comes with singing and proving something to yourself as well. Yeah. Um, but there's loads of moments like that. I, I, and that would be a um, diegetic musical number, I suppose, where... Yeah, definitely. It's... I mean, they keep bringing back Tina Turner's um, Simply the Best yeah. as well, which works really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, karaoke episodes are also valid in a long-running show. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Okay, so we've touched on some of these... Uh, things already but when it doesn't work when you when you put in a musical episode so obviously when it's contrived to be honest when you put in anything contrived in any form of writing then that's usually a big turn off for the audience yeah Uh, (laughs) there's also when the cast are uncomfortable and not having fun which you've definitely i've definitely watched sort of episodes of things where i'm like it's very clear that the actors their heart isn't in it you can and... tell they've kind of got this what the fuck is going on why am i doing this yeah absolutely <laughs> and you can really tell because i know it sounds so this is this is my sort of past as a theater kid coming out it's like but the energy is not there mm. <laughs> well as i said we were writing our episode while casting and the only real mm. uh change we made to the story when casting was pugsley's played by alex brightman who's a um, two-time Tony nominee, Broadway singer, but most famous from playing Beetlejuice in Beetlejuice the Musical, um, <laughs> which is a very good musical horror show. Um, cool. And But he sings in that kind of gravelly Beetlejuice voice as well as having yeah. a normal singing voice. So the idea of doing a duet between those two voices was really appealing to us. Um, so is he, is he actually playing both of those characters then? Yes. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, no. That's amazing. And he did attempt to to sing it all in one go because he finds that he <laughs> finds doing the gravelly voice kind of easier because it uses different yeah. um, 
vocal chords. It uses kind of you know spare ones that uh, uh, spare ones. I, I'm not joking. <laughs> a lot of like metal sing like heavy metal singers have developed this um, other uh, like. I don't even know what I'm talking about. There's a bunch of videos about it online. But um, it's like a physical part of his body that's different. Whereas the Pugsy voice mm. is his, also his speaking voice. And so it, it strains it a little bit more. Um, but that, to be, to be honest, that's what's quite interesting is that we wrote the songs for our actors. And I think sometimes musical episodes don't do that. Um, I, I, watch yeah, a, they... I watch a lot of videos from this YouTuber called The Honest Vocal Coach. And... Um, <laughs> She watched the Once Upon a Time musical episode, which I would God. I would put in the like above average category. Not the best, but like it was fine. It was fun. Um, and one of the problems was that just some of the songs were written for completely different voices. And um, mm, yeah. where so the person who plays the evil queen, who's like the best character on the show, her song is good and she can definitely sing but like the entire song she you can like see such a strain on her uh it's like written completely not in her range which is really disappointing um yeah but that's definitely a show where like these are based on disney characters so them singing is not completely strange i suppose yeah yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. You always have that one member of the cast who maybe isn't a natural singer and doesn't do a lot of singing and it's like you either have to write around that or write it in such a way that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't come off as, as forced. It's like with the Buffy one, you notice that Alison Hannigan doesn't do a lot of singing. And when she does, it's clearly very supported by other people also singing. Mm. And I think she said afterwards that, yeah, it was a great, it was great fun to do. But the reason she didn't do a lot of singing is because she doesn't really do much singing. She doesn't have much of a singing voice. Yeah. I think the other thing is also um, because uh, uh, you're absolutely right, Hamish, in terms of the sort of the vocal range, but there's also style because mm. different people will have voices which are suited to different kind of styles. You know, for example, um, everybody can sort of do some form of vibrato, but vibrato is when you do the kind of the, the wobble in the voice for anyone who doesn't know the term. Um, but, you know, some people it will sound silly on some people. It will, it actually really suits their voice. So, you know, again, with the using Dead End as a kind of an example, Pugsley's song, you did have the bit of that Beetlejuice, you know, that there was a kind of a swing to it, the whole song. Mm. Um, and I, I assume that, you know, uh, obviously you were thinking of of that voice actor, um, that that would have impacted the kind of the style, the approach that you decided to do, because you could have done that song and it could have been very operatic instead, you know, yeah. um, in terms of the drama of the song that would have still made sense. You could have done that song in lots and lots of different ways, but the style suited the voice. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for other shows, but you would hopefully discuss the musical episode of your cast and, um, try and write songs in their range i mean i i've not mentioned him yet but the co-writer of all of it the person who actually wrote the music um was patrick mm. stump who's the lead singer of fallout boy <laughs> um, wow <laughs> <laughs> so uh and he was amazing like we, we worked on all of it together and um rewrote songs for people's ranges and he directed all the singing as well and 
it was it did mean that all the demos were in his voice and he's such an incredible singer that i think a lot of the cast got the demos and felt a bit intimidated but um <laughs> i was also singing in character voices like we mentioned alex but um emily osmond who plays courtney um, mm-hmm. is doing a demon voice the whole show yeah that's, that is really impressive <laughs> yeah and we and she was actually the last to record and we were just and sort of is i would say if this was a normal musical would be the kind of uh main role i suppose um mm-hmm. the last to come out for their bow i suppose um yeah so we're like the whole episode hinges on if she can do this singing voice um, and then I forgot that she was, she's like the co-lead of Hannah Montana and a full Disney child. Like, she was <laughs> raised by, um, so her not being able to sing would not be acceptable. So she was actually, you know, very, you've heard it. She was really good. Um, she was, she was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I thought, you, you've got a good point with the whole style thing, Madeline, mm. because I, I can't tell you how disappointing it was through my teens and 20s where I listened to a lot of heavy metal and I tried to sing along and what it sounded like was <laughs> basically a convent school choir girl singing along to things like Limp, Limp Biscuit or um, <laughs> Black Sabbath or you know <laughs> Guns and Roses and it's like it does not sound like it does when they sing it clearly it's not going to mm. so uh, apparently it was very amusing to hear but <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear the I want to hear the choir choir girl choir cover of those, <laughs> of those songs. Um, so other why other times when um, it just doesn't work um, when it adds nothing to the story. Yeah, um, and you know we've talked about it, um, and as you know Hamish mentioned before, when it's a kind of a throwaway episode, when it's a filler episode. Um, you can do it if you kind of want to and sometimes people just do okay let's just do an amusing one and like the scrubs one it was it was a uh, so far as i remember it didn't actually have any greater larger points towards the sort of the overarching plot really it just reinforced it um so you can kind of use it as a sort of a throwaway episode but at the same time um if you really want something that's going to kind of impact you do want to have something which adds to the story or at least enforces the character kind of arcs the character development etc yeah um uh, another thing that doesn't work for me is you know how where a song just lands flat and usually it's because it hasn't really or the writer hasn't really either had time or the inclination to sort of dig deep into what the song is about so yeah it's actually quite trite yeah then you get quite trite rhymes and things oh, and yeah. it, the whole thing and it's just as, as a musical lover it's it's really really off-putting when you yeah. hear anything like that um i actually quite enjoyed the film anna and the apocalypse but i would say about half the songs were not as good as they could have been because they trended in that direction as in they didn't really dig deep into the sort of the human emotion side of it yeah what's interesting as well is that sometimes uh musical episodes rather than writing new songs they will basically just do covers of different songs Mm -hmm. and that can work um but sometimes it is just all right well here we can have a or we're gonna we want to have this song so we're just gonna make we're going to set it up so that we can have this song and it's just a little bit like 
it feels very shoehorned. Like, again, so I don't want to pick on the Lucifer episode because um, I did actually like some of the performances, but they had this whole musical number of Another One Bites the Dust, uh, you know, mm. because it's a, you know, it's a crime. They just found a murder and they just did this whole thing. And, and I was kind of like, it just felt really flat. Yeah. <laughs> There's a character in the TV show Glee called Jesse just so that someone can sing Jesse's girl at him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes they're fun, but sometimes they're the worst thing that has ever been put to film. Yeah, that's, that's actually fair. That's what I feel about it. Um, it's also, as we've talked you know we mentioned it with the with the cop show um the yeah. tone doesn't fit so i think you can probably if you really want to you can make anything a musical but you've got to be willing to sort of dig deep um and then try and make it sort of internally consistent and make the tone fit and if you can't get all those three moving pieces to work together then it, it's not going to land and and just yeah. respecting the genre and to be honest yeah. this episode could be summarized in just make sure the songs are good like yeah yeah um that would have been a very short episode though yeah (laughs) hello we're here to welcome hamish (laughs) just make sure the songs are good okay thank you and for our dissecting dragons recommendation (laughs) um no it's it's quite funny because a lot of people think okay well if you're doing a musical episode or if you're doing kind of any musical then it can't be serious and obviously les miserables demonstrates the fact that that's complete bollocks um and also things like phantom of the opera there are some pretty serious moments in phantom of the opera um but you and and they're you know they're big musicals but then you also have you know theater and stuff like that um that will incorporate musical numbers but aren't actually musicals so knee-high theater who i've mentioned in the past um they are this they they use a specific kind of sort of speculative storytelling and they will incorporate music and songs into their shows, but it's not a musical. Um, so for me, I think it kind of fits into the same category as kind of like a, a sort of a TV show or a movie which uses that music. And they've I've seen them do several performances. Uh, one in I saw them do Hansel and Gretel, which was very funny, and but again, had some very serious moments. Um, but one of the ones they did was that they did a... Um, an adaptation of the opera Don Giovanni. So of course they incorporated music to it and they had a fantastic soundtrack, like really impactful, really heavy hitting, incredibly enjoyable. Um, And it was a very, very serious kind of story in general, Um, even though it did have some very funny bits because Nihai liked to kind of include the drama and the seriousness. Um, And the songs, because of that, really hit. The whole tone worked so well. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm saying this to you guys. I'm going to send both of you guys one of the songs from it because it slaps. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, it it goes to show that actually it doesn't really matter the kind of the overall tone that you want to go for. You can still make a musical work, but you've got to then think about the tone of the music and how you want it to fit. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so why do some shows go for it and others don't? Um, there's a, this theory, <laughs> which I've seen in a Guardian article, um, which I was a bit sort of, it raised my eyebrows, put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen it discussed in other places like Reddit and online various. I'm not subscribing to it, but 
-hmm. Basically, the theory goes that traditionally male-focused shows, for example, The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, Luther, etc., <laughs> don't tap into this storytelling mode, while more female-oriented shows do. A few people have postulated that this is basically because of sexism. Um, it assumes that all women love musicals while all men don't. So, throwing the floor open, discuss. <laughs> Sorry, I just... I'm imagining an ep musical episode of The Walking Dead. <laughs> I want that episode. Honestly, I reckon... <laughs> well, uh, oh, I want a zombie musical. I really do. I'm, I'm just going to point out that if you watch um, uh, Bad Lip Reading they uh because they do they will add sort of musical moments so if you watch the walking dead bad lip reading you can get your musical sort of episode if you want to well i mean alan and i were mucking around one evening and we basically summarized season three of the walking dead in musical form <laughs> we were at it for like 45 minutes just randomly off the cuff doing songs it was I know, kind of wish we'd recorded it. Because so, it so do I. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it's interesting because my gut reaction was to be like, that's stupid. But yeah. there is something in that. And I don't necessarily think it's because women like musicals. I think it's more that a lot of shows that's target audience are men are so scared of not of coming across as gay basically or coming across yeah. as yeah. like being laughed at um yeah and i think there are examples of it going there also it's just thinking about all media in such binary terms it reminds me of yeah i don't know if you saw that discovery hbo merger um powerpoint that kind of got leaked where <laughs> they listed HBO is for men because it's about oh, this and about, yeah. Discovery which is like a reality TV show thing is for women because women don't join fandoms and women don't like it's like it was so it had a completely bonkers <laughs> idea of what a fandom was w women it, don't join fandoms yeah. <laughs> sorry it was, it's the same the same sort of logic that says, oh, if you're a girl and you like Dune, you must be a fucking unicorn because you can't really be real. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I've had for most of my life. It was, so. it was bonkers. It was basically like yeah. Game of Thrones is successful because men are nerds and 90 Day Fiance is successful because women like trash. And this was like in a, in a full like corporate sort of for the um the shareholders PowerPoint presentation. It also infamously had um a diagram which was a box that said content pointing towards an arrow that said streaming service. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's those are my bosses. Um uh, oh, God. But, but yeah, I think it's less to do with what with what women want and more to do with uh, I know we've been ragging on musical episodes and saying that, well, mm. every show feels obligated to do one, but, like, I kind of like that every show tries, because you do get some yeah. good ones, and I, even the bad ones, I get morbidly excited about them approaching on my binge. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, it's it's more to do with shows, but I wouldn't say they're male yeah. shows. No, I'm, I'm just thinking, because we've been re-watching Breaking Bad, and... Um, at the beginning of, I think it's season three, you have literally, it just, uh, I think it's like three episodes in, you get, it opens with a, a musical number in Spanish um, with 
guitar and everything and you see the subtitles down the bottom and it's he's um it's basically singing about these drug dealers mm. and the fact that they're coming to get heisenberg i.e walter white because he's been producing meth and he's encroaching on someone else's territory so it's done the whole thing of sort of like it you know collapsing a certain amount of time and space within the, within the series giving you some backstory at the beginning of a season and um it's funny it's a really funny song even though it's sung very very straight faced and it's about going off to kill someone yeah so i'm like yeah they didn't do a full musical episode but they're absolutely aware of this sort of trend within tv series yeah. and they did kind of lean on it a little bit with that yeah to be honest i feel like actually breaking bad because of the actors they could have done a musical episode hmm. Yeah. I feel. I feel like you could have, uh, and you could have found a way of justifying in that it wasn't a full music ep- episode, but perhaps while someone was on a trip, you know, they experience, you know, or there's some kind of leak while they're making something, you know, something happens where they're all tripping. Um, you could have done it because obviously the guy who plays Walter White is famously a very, very accomplished comedic actor, mm. yeah. um, and. Th- even though I'm not saying it in inherently musicals have to do with comedy, comedic actors in general, I think, tend to be better with sort of musicals and stuff like that because when you're a comedic actor, it doesn't mean actually you're just constantly fooling around. Um, doing comedy properly um, means that you kind of have to have a certain level of confidence, but it also means that you've got to have a great sense of timing um, and you've got to sort of also... You don't you don't tend to have that same level of kind of res- reservedness. Oh, I'm embarrassed, therefore I can't really sort of do it. But you tend to have a greater sense of let's go for it. Um, so I feel like he could have actually done something really, really good. Um, I feel like a lot of people who were watching it would have hated it, though. <laughs> mm. Yeah, possibly. It's funny about the it's- gender d- divide because, like, my probably my favorite film of the year is. RRR or Triple R, which is this mm-hmm. um, Tollywood Indian film um, that is like a three hour action epic um, historical uh, based on the uh, British occupation and two revolutionaries fighting, and it's got some of the gnarliest, grisliest deaths ever. <laughs> it's also got four amazing musical numbers that. One of them is purely goofy, and one of them is extremely emotional, and it's one of the leads, like, being whipped in front of a crowd, like, singing about um, revolution. And, like, on paper, I mean, this film has been such a huge deal. It's the most successful film in India, and it's causing a lot of waves in Hollywood at the moment of people being like, why don't we make movies like this? And it's, mm. I think it's out of embarrassment. Like, people have been trying to compare Triple R to, like, Fast and Furious or The Avengers or, like, what a typical mm. action movie is in Hollywood. But it would never have its lead actor earnestly, and I really stress that, earnestly, sing a song that, like, reduces the audience to tears or have the lead actors like doing a fun dance at a wedding reception which is another great scene and i guess you know it's just a cultural thing like to to us i guess to a lot of western men men dancing and smiling and having a good time like is embarrassing and 
Yeah. yeah. It's a different storytelling mode as well. That, I mean, I don't want to go off on a complete tangent, but the West is very focused on the, I, the inverted commas, monomyth version of telling a story, whereas you get to sort of India type area. And a lot of it is to do with the characters are kind of movable and negotiable pieces within a setting and the setting is the place. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the focus is usually start slightly different. So I think maybe that might come into the film from what I've seen of it, not that film, but that their film industry in general. Yeah. And the, the fact that, you know, you can have your main characters do slightly different things. Yeah. Uh, there is another element to it as well. And it, I think it also kind of ties into that that snobbery in terms of sort of literary fiction in that, you know, in the same way that we kind of with literary fiction, we we sort of people will kind of pose it as it being higher than genre fiction or things like that. You know, um, there is this with when it comes to the stage, when it comes to uh, performances, there's a kind of the same sort of snobbery uh, with regards to uh, the Stanislavski style and the Stanislavski style for those who are not very familiar with it is basically playing it like reality mm. so everything is happening everything there's no exaggeration there's no drama or anything like that everything is happening as if you are literally watching someone's life in reality they're acting in very very realistic terms and this has become the standard uh, for a lot of films and things like that um, and we tend to kind of apply this the, apply this idea that anything that doesn't follow the Stanislavski model uh, which does kind of lean into the drama which does sort of break the fourth wall etc is therefore a little bit silly it's the it, it it's the genre fiction as it were um because it's not serious and when you then get to things like um sort of musicals and stuff like that because it's not following the Stanislavski kind of style um it falls into that same kind of snobbery of ah but it's not it's not art it's not the proper it's not the real look at life and this is very western and we do have to remember the fact that if we look at sort of bollywood if we look at also things like telenovelas and stuff like that you know um pretty much uh, a whole bunch of other cultures and how they approach kind of theater and and, and therefore films and stuff like that um, really, really does make a difference. I mean, even if we look at, and again, I'm using theatre as an example, just kind of like a, as the precursor. If we look at theatre um, in comparison, uh, you know, in, in the UK, we we tend to think of, oh, Shakespeare's great. Shakespeare is not Stanislavski yeah. style at all. Shakespeare has all these kinds of things, but because it's old, we tend to be like, that's okay. Um, and then, you know, you look at things like Kabuki, and stuff like that. This is this is heralded as a high form of art. It is not Stanislavski. Um, and when you get to Bollywood, uh, because they don't have that same kind of snobbery in terms of what makes it high art, and also I think because of the sort of the gendered things, um, you get these sort of men dancing. And this is not a, oh, well, this is a girly kind of thing. This is a display of power. This is a display of skill. Um, and to be honest, if we look in the West, we do also see that. No one, no one who watches Singing in the Rain can watch that and not say, wow, those men have a tremendous amount of skill watching them dance and sing in the way that they're doing. Um, but for some reason, particularly in the modern day, we've kind of, 
removed that and in the same way that we tend to sort of have this idea that literariness uh, and maleness you know that, that men like serious literary things and women like silly whimsical unimportant things it's all kind of been tied in together and it's a real disservice i think yeah, definitely. It's, okay. I was just oh, going to say off the back of that very quickly, it's it's sort of why I think Toby Hooper, who directed Les Mis, the movie, and also Cats, um, doesn't quite get that. Because Les Mis, I, I don't hate it, but the movie is filmed in that realistic, gritty style, but they're also still mm. singing. So there's like lots of close-ups. It's all on-set voices. It Everything sounds a bit odd. And it was like it kind of got away with itself but then he did the exact same thing for cats and yeah cats is you can do it for limis because limis is actually a very serious story you can't do it for cats yeah (laughs) and it's like filmed like a documentary with hyper real fur technology whatever it was and it it's completely misunderstands what the appeal of a musical is um yeah yeah definitely Something to be aware of if you're making a TV show that's incredibly gritty and serious that maybe for the musical episode, lighten the the lighting yes. a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we've talked, I've got some examples, but of series that have more recently done musical episodes, but we've talked about a lot of them. So obviously Scrubs and Dead End Paranormal Park, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, etc. Um, I do just want to mention Glee and I also want to mention Crazy Ex-Girlfriend mm-hmm. because they kind of took the whole musical episode idea and made it the point of the entire series yeah um i do remember enjoying glee when i watched it but i sort of fell out in the third season i think it just i just lost interest um Mm. i did really like crazy ex-girlfriend because it went one step further and actually created new original pieces of music and um they so the, the songs were actually written for what was happening in the show and in various different styles and musical genres, etc. Mm. And I found that worked really well. I found, you know, it was a genuinely funny and quite heartfelt show. Glee yeah. is the definitive you had to be there show because yeah. watching it now <laughs> is harrowing. Um, yeah. I think the thing with Glee is that you, with the whole cast, obviously the whole point was that they all needed to be good at singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the songs then were tailored to them, which is why, you know, even now, if you listen to some of their covers, they're quite good, but it is, I hate to use the word, it's, people now look at it and go cringe, you know? (laughs) It was definitely of its period. (laughs) It's also just sad, like, three of the lead actors are dead, and the, it's this odd little, um... Like I, like I said, I definitely watched it and enjoyed it, but I would never necessarily watch it again or recommend it to anyone. Um, yeah. Crazy, a crazy ex-girlfriend's good. I was going to briefly mention Flight of the Concords because um, oh, yes. my God, it yes. hugely <laughs> inspired uh, me and uh, Madeline's brother's band, um, which we were in. Chips, Ch- so Chips good. Chips, so good. Um, <laughs> when I say inspired, it was very grateful that no one else at school had ever heard of them and we could basically just do their shtick. Um, <laughs> and one of the things I like about that is that the two lead characters are extremely uh, repressed and, and quiet and would never really speak their minds. And then they have these very colourful, outrageous inner lives. Um, yeah. And they had written all the songs already when they kind of came to make the show. So. 
Yeah, I think what that's one of the things um, because I never watched Glee and I've watched some of Flight of the Concords and Flight of the Concords as a TV series didn't really appeal to me because I'm not, I don't really like that kind of uh, comedy in terms of the uh, the kind of want the stories where sort of nothing really happens if that makes sense where they never get to progress anywhere they always sort of stay the same way just on a very personal level it didn't agree with me but i love the flight of the concord songs Mm. i love them as a band i thought they were just so funny um because they would sort of dip into these very specific kind of scenarios which were relatable but also as you said they had these really colorful internal lives um, and it, it did work very well in terms of the series because the series, as you said, it was just them kind of going about their daily lives. And then it was like you slipped into their imaginations as they as they suddenly <laughs> went into these <laughs> musical numbers, which was excellent. Um, it was very, very well done. Um, and it was very, very funny. And if anyone hasn't heard, I'm pretty sure everyone has kind of heard the sort of um, songs from Flight of the Concords. But if you haven't yet... I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, YouTube is your friend there. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was a a sort of musical, I say musical episode, it wasn't. It was a, a normal episode of How I Met Your Mother with a few musical numbers in it. But the one that always stuck with me was Nothing Suits Me Like a Suit, which was playing on the, the series-long joke that no matter what they did, whenever they photographed Barney, he would be perfectly attired in a suit. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and no matter how they photographed him as well, he would. Yeah. He, he was he always just... posing. Yeah. Um, then there was also the Supernatural yeah. episode. Um, <laughs> they conked out on that one, I think, because, they, you know, with the whole of Supernatural, you could have really had one where it was a trickster kind of thing and they were literally all singing. They yeah, could have done it, but they didn't they do that. They were kind of one foot in, one foot out, weren't they? And it yeah. was like... I get the whole wanting to do a fan service type thing. So didn't they actually have some fans involved in? I think they that? did. And yeah. I think the whole point was that they basically turn up at a place where there is a musical episode, sorry, a mu- a, a stage production of their story, basically, because their story was written yeah. into a number of books. I'm not going to go into it, being performed on stage. And there was all these kinds of malarkey kind of things happening. And in some respects, they did actually manage to sort of answer sort of so, some kind of long-running questions or things with regards to the fans. So it, it was actually a chance for the fans to address certain things with the show. Um, and there were some really nice kind of actually, you know, some good moments. And I, I do have to say hats off to kind of some of the, the actors, um, the young actors who were playing the fans, because I think they really put their heart and soul into it. Um, but it was, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it, it... it felt like they shied away from doing anything, they, doing what they could have done with it, I guess. Yeah, I think, and also I think a lot of people were disappointed because obviously Jensen Ackles, who plays Dean Winchester, I think he's also in the um, the new series of, uh, what's it called? The Boys. He's in The Boys now. Um, he, he's got a really lovely singing voice. So I think a lot of people really wanted to hear him sing. Um, and they didn't get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there any other uh, any other sort of musical episodes that we haven't discussed that you kind of want to give a shout out to? Um, I was thinking about the show um, Galavant. 
Yes, I I wanted to because Gallivant was one where I was like, is it actually technically a musical? Or is it... Because obviously they've got music in every sort of episode. Gallivant is such a fantastic series. I knew you were a fan. I, but this is the thing. That is definitely shows where every episode is the musical episode. I think part yeah. of the uncanny risk is when you take something that isn't typically a musical. Like, obviously, Gallivant was cast with great singers and dancers. I'm sure the same crazy yeah. as Girlfriend. Um, so, yeah, that it's that that stumble that road that um road bump of like can you stick the landing of having your yeah. regular casting and then also take them seriously the episode afterwards or have yeah, you broken the show the forever yeah um and i think it, it is then about sort of as we've said before making sure what's the tone what's the kind of story you're trying to tell because and you can do it i mean you might have turned around and say hang on with sweeney todd could you really make that into a musical and the answer is yes you can and i kind of like that musical yeah exactly but that's the point is that you, you people turn around and say could, can you make a musical about a serial killer and, and and cannibalism and all that jazz and the answer is yes you absolutely can um, you know, there's lots of, no matter the genre, you can actually make it into a musical. You can have a, a sort of uh, a, a doctor drama. You can have a police drama. But it's about kind of understanding the approach, basically. Um, and the sort of sad so. truth of all writing is you can kind of do anything if it's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also sometimes some things just don't land because it's just not the right time. Um, and that, that that is also a reality at the end of the day is that you can actually sort of do most things right and it just doesn't isn't the right time for it yeah um but i think really with regards to any kind of musical episode um it's about treating it with respect and actually doing it properly uh, taking it sincerely you know yeah final shout out for Dr. Horrible's sing-along <laughs> blog which, um, <laughs> I'm sorry I really do enjoy that I w- watch it again every couple of years or so and it is just um, it's a it's weirdly a sort of great tragedy comedy mm. yeah so they're playing off all the superhero tropes and everything and giving us the villain's perspective and the songs again are actually quite good yeah um, and it's funny right up until the very end when it isn't it's kind of like that episode of Bugs Bunny where they're doing the opera yeah. and it ends with a tragic ending and it's like what did you expect it's an opera yeah. <laughs> you're right sorry for some reason this made me think of you know in Hawkeye the series Hawkeye they did a whole musical show about the Avengers mm. yes oh god it, it makes me think of that <laughs> I was just suddenly like, could you could you make a musical of something like some of those, you know, the, the sort of the Marvel stuff? And I'm like, they literally joked about it within the Marvel stuff. So I guess that answers that question. Well, there you go. Um, so who would like to see a musical of their own life? Because I don't think I would. No, to be honest, no thanks. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind having a musical day, sort of like yeah, where, where cool. my, in your own life where everything was a musical that to be honest i've had dreams like that and it sounds like and it it, it was great fun mm-hmm. um but <laughs> i just don't think the question is then and i guess i guess we we can't really ask this to hamish because you've kind of had that answered uh, would you ever want to see a musical of your own work i was about to ask the same to you two um <laughs> it's not really relevant i'm sure you brought up in the in the actually the other musical episode but um 
something like The Hobbit feels like it should have been adapted as a full-blown musical because there's music in yeah. there. And I think about yeah. specifically the, the Tim Burton, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory sort of used the songs that are already in the book. And, yeah. and do you imagine your work having music kind of in it? Yeah, well, I write in a lot of folk songs mm. and of, of lately with this most recent series, there's there's sort of this gothic rock band that have songs and stuff yeah. in there as well. And I, I think you could take a selected episode from Harker and Blackthorn and not, <laughs> obviously not me, I don't, but somebody else, someone who's actually good at writing this stuff um, could make a decent musical out of it because... Uh, yeah, I think there's enough going on there. And it would be funny. And Honestly, yeah, a musical Harker and Blackthorn, I can just totally see it. Just like in the same way I could I could see a musical episode of, of Kestrel Saga. Oh, yeah, If it absolutely. was a series, I think oh, that could definitely crossover work. Musical crossover <laughs> musical episode. Um, I think in terms of some of the, maybe some of the kind of the, the, the children's stuff that I've written, I think could be adapted pretty well into sort of musicals in, in more of like the Disney kind of sense or, mm. or the, you yeah. know, um, I, I'm trying to imagine the Sons of Thestian as a musical. It'd be kind of like Fantasy Les Miserables. It? <laughs> it really would. And honestly, actually, I'm kind of vibing with it. So, um, but the thing that's actually really making me laugh is imagining The King's Knight as a musical. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that would sort of work. Yeah, I particularly love the idea that literally, but literally everybody else is singing, and Gregory's just like, "What the hell is going on the whole time?" Considering (laughs) he spent in at least every single one of those books, he goes, "No singing, don't sing, no no. poetry." (laughs) Yeah, I just kind of like the imagine, just the image of him that he's the one straight guy, as it were, and everyone else is kind of doing these musical numbers around him, and he's just there, like, "Are we done?" Why is this the reality I live in? Well, thanks, Madeline. I now need to write The King's Night, the musical. Fantastic. Thank you. Excellent. So, I mean, Hamish, obviously we have had one episode, one musical episode of Dead End. Um, I I imagine that we we probably won't get another one, but would you want to have another one, do you think? Yeah, there's there's some songs in season two, but it's not a musical episode. Um, okay. I wanted it to be self-contained. Like there's there's shows yeah. like Steven Universe that have songs all the time, but I liked um, keeping it contained. I did write a book recently called Croc and Roll, which is yes! my like attempt at doing a musical comic, but I don't know if it really succeeded. The um, there's musical numbers. It's really, you combining all of your your love, love <laughs> of crocodiles and reptiles, with love of musicals and love of comics. <laughs> yeah, it was meant. It was inspired by. Um, it was meant to be a kind of middle ground between Teenage Turtles and Gem and the Holograms, um, and like well, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it was like extremely eighties. <laughs> there's musical numbers, and there is a link at the start of the book where you can go and listen to some of the songs. Um, and that was really fun. I'd love to see that adapted. I'd love to do a full, mm. um, like, animatronic costumes, Teenage Turtles movie, <laughs> like, full live action, um, Uncanny Valley, Howard the Duck stuff. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, Really, really upset people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure any movie studio would love me pointing to Howard the Duck as a point of reference. Um, <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I'm just, we've talked about it. 
I'm one of those people that sometimes thinks in musical terms. I'm actually writing some musicals at the moment, um, just because of how much fun it was to make Dead End. I've got a writing partner and we're writing like an original one, but also one based on a, on quote unquote an IP that we're pursuing the rights for. So okay. there'll be more musicals in my future, I think, but we'll wait and see. That's f- fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to quiz you about that when we're, <laughs> when we're not recording because uh, that sounds very, very exciting. Um, we have reached the end of the episode. Uh, we've overrun a little bit, but what do you expect? Um, before we go, obviously, uh, we do have our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. Um, and I don't think it'll surprise anyone that we're going to say, uh, make sure that you watch season two of Dead End Paranormal Park. If you haven't watched season one yet, no worries. You've got until the 13th of October to binge that um, in preparation for season two. It is on Netflix and it's brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much for coming back Hamish I know how busy you are so it's always a pleasure to have you on the show oh, it's always my dream come true <laughs> <laughs> and on that note guys we'll say thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys next week yeah thanks and goodbye bye you've been listening to Dissecting Dragons the speculative fiction podcast You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.